This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Encores can be the most fun part of a concert or recital, with the possibility of surprising and delighting an audience. It's more unusual to have an encore at the opera. In just a bit, we'll hear about a tradition-bending encore that took place recently at the Met. But first, joining us is the Canadian pianist Mark andre Hamlin. His latest CD features the late piano music of Busoni. He joins us from England. A writer in The Telegraph singled you out for aiming to surprise and intrigue people with your choice of encores. What kind of planning goes into an encore? Well, it's a complex subject, really, because it'll depend on the program that you've just offered. It'll depend on the audience. It'll depend on how well you think or how not well you think the program went. (laughs) So there can be many, many factors. I I tend to make last-minute decisions sometimes. I I mean, it has happened that I actually sit down for an encore and actually don't know what I'm going to play. So there has to be some very quick thinking. As far as what to play and uh, what one should play and one should not play, I mean, there is, of course, a whole set of rules or at least guidelines. I mean, you have to uh, be careful about doing something that is not going to be too violent a contrast with the main program, of course. I think at the same time, you want to delight, uh, perhaps even amuse, intrigue, and maybe even astonish, if that's your bag. (laughs) I mean, the the subject is so diverse and so complex. Well, what's a little bit of the equation, then? Say you've just played an all-Chopin program. Do you play more Chopin, or...? Well, there's no real clear-cut solution, because some people would expect you to. Some people would want to hear anything but... Some people even want, to be, even want to be surprised. Some people don't care. They say just to play whatever. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I found out that uh, many people are astonished that you should play an encore at all because they, they think, oh man, you've you've been on the stage for two hours and you must be so exhausted, and yet you're still offering us something. So some of them don't actually care what it is. They just want to hear you some more, and they're delighted that you're agreeing to. You did a version of Chopin's Minute Waltz that, (laughs) you you know what I'm talking about. It's out there on Mm -hmm. YouTube. What was that, and how did that come to your attention? Well, that is something that I've done, actually. I I wrote that. uh, What we're talking about is that uh, I I start playing the Minute Waltz uh, straight, and I never announce it because I don't want to spoil the fun. And, of course, I play the A section, then the central section, and when I come back to the opening material, I uh, do the main theme in seconds, and changing the harmony somewhat, or at least actually a great deal. So uh, everything suddenly sounds like it's full of wrong notes. Are there some pieces that don't maybe have the substance to work in a formal part of the recital but make really great encores? Absolutely, yes. For instance? I've always said, you know, there's one composer who actually wrote some really rather wonderful piano music, and that's Percy Granger, the Australian composer who lived for quite a while in the States, actually. But I've always believed that, you know, because most of his piano music is folkloric material uh, in 
rather luxurious uh, concert uh, pianistic garb, I think that it is more suitable for recordings than actual use in a recital. Although for encore material, I think it's probably ideal. And that's just one example. Have you ever played a concert where you felt they were just such a terrible audience, they're not getting an encore? Well, there was a concert series I played once. It was in an Italian city, and I finished the first half, and I, I, I got applause, and then I go off stage, and the applause stops. I wasn't even called back to bow again. So I thought, okay, I've blown it. <laughs> so I did the second half of the uh, recital rather half-heartedly, only to find out from talking to audience members afterwards that they really enjoyed it. So it was just in this case a lack of demonstrativeness and had nothing to do with their appreciation of the music. So sometimes it's an applause language barrier then. Yeah, so and one cannot necessarily glean anything from the response itself. What's your latest encore discovery? That's just the greatest piece to... Well, I've been playing that minute waltz a lot, actually. But there are many things that I've thought over the years would make great encores, and I just haven't gotten around to learning them yet. <laughs> one, of them, one of them is this excerpt from Granados' Goyescas called The Maiden and the Nightingale, which is an exquisite piece of music. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful and atmospheric, and I know nothing else like it, but I just have to sit down and learn the damn thing. <laughs> That's just one example. Well, we'll watch for that then as your next encore when you, when all the steam has gone out of the minute waltz. But a totally exactly. different thing. <laughs> Which will happen. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. It's my pleasure. We just heard that Mark andre Hamlin wants to astonish his audiences with his choice of encores. But according to our next guest, a lot of pianists have fallen into an insipid, uninspired routine with their encores. David Oldroyd Bolt is a writer and classical pianist who wrote about this in The Telegraph last November. He's joining us on the phone from London, where he's got birds outside his window. So, David, in your opinion, what has gone wrong with encores? I think it's not only what's gone wrong with encores. Uh, it can be seen as what's gone wrong as a wider symptom with recital programs in general. Pianists have become too safe. Uh, if you look back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, you had pianists like uh, Ferruccio Busoni, Arthur Rubinstein, Josef Hoffmann, and their whole program would be designed uh, to take audiences on an emotional journey, to take them across Europe in terms of uh, the repertoire they played. You'd have high classical, so Schubert, uh, Beethoven, and then you'd have the Romantics list, uh, and then you would throw in little party pieces. Um, and the encore was just a continuation of this. Of course, you have people in the 19th century like Hans von Bülow who would perform five Beethoven sonatas as an encore, which could be seen as slightly too much. <laughs> uh, and then you had uh, Josef Hoffmann who would perform his own compositions. And that's a, another facet of it. It was often a time when these pianists, who were also composers, would try out their new works, test their reaction, much as a stand-up comedian would these days. I think most pianists these days simply don't have the hinterland, you might call it a repertoire, to provide audiences with that sort of interest, that sort of new discovery. Marc-Andre Amelin is one of the few who does. Uh, you might also mention Stephen Huff um, or Boris Berezovsky uh, amongst modern pianists who would try that sort of thing. 
Uh, even a pianist like Marta Argrich will stick to something fairly tried and tested. She uses about the same three encores in every uh, recital of hers I've ever seen. And you mentioned a few sort of pieces that are always trotted out, like Chopin's D-flat major nocturne, Schumann's Träumerei, yeah. the Liszt Campanella etude. Why do you think pianists just fall back on those? I hate to say it, but I think it's lack of imagination drummed into them since conservatoire college, uh, as it would be over uh, over there. They're taught to play it safe, as I was as a student. You, you When you go through for your end of your recitals, you stick with uh, repertoire that isn't going to cause anyone too much of a headache. Uh, you stick with a uh, repertoire that is easy for, uh, for a judge to mark you on, uh, the reset criteria for these things. And so when it comes to your professional career and you suddenly have to think up your own encores, you think, oh, you know, what would someone like? And unfortunately, it seems to be about the same three, four, five pieces that they always pick. It's a failure of imagination. It's a failure of artistic expression, really. And I think a lot of it simply has to do with failures in music education. All right, let's get another view on this from Tim Smith, who is the classical music critic of the Baltimore Sun. He recently wrote about the encore phenomenon in opera, and we'll talk opera in just a second. But first, what is your reaction to David's argument about piano encores becoming routine and unimaginative? Well, I guess I haven't heard too many routine things just lately, so I'm thinking uh, that maybe some guys are doing it a little more interestingly. Um, uh, Yafim Brown from the other day did... A Beethoven five with uh, with Baltimore Symphony, but when he came out for an encore, yes, it was Chopin, but it was a Horowitz version of a Chopin etude, which was a lot of fun. One of those things that Horowitz could toss off so fabulously with a sort of a fake out ending that you're not expecting kind of thing. So that was sort of fun. I didn't expect that. I remember a Thibaudet recital that the encore was the Liszt Liebestod transcription to Wagner. I wouldn't expect that as an encore piece. That I thought that was kind of cool. Followed by a Duke Ellington uh, transcription of his. Uh, so I thought that was sort of fun. So some of these guys are doing it. But, you know, I know that people do tend to stick to a narrow range of the program, so your encore will come from that. And I can't agree more about the, the lack of these party pieces, so-called, because that, that was one of the things that I think must have made recitals long ago so much more fun. Okay, so now let's talk opera. There was an encore at the Met recently that got a lot of attention. They were doing La Cenerentola, and the tenor Javier Camarena encored part of an aria, which made him only the third singer in 70 years, all tenors, by the way, to do that at the Met. And then when Juan Diego Flores took over the role later that week, he sang the same encore. Are encores in opera disruptive, or are they part of the experience? I think in most cases, they probably are disruptive, but they tend to occur. It seems that they, nowadays, if we get them at all, they occur in relatively light fairs. So I don't think in that sense they're going to harm anybody. Do the solo encores, these very few that do occur. I, mean, I think if you're doing a comedy or something that's at least remotely light in mood and something is just really so spectacular, I don't think it's going to destroy the evening. I think you could even make a case for an encore in one of the bigger bread-and-butter operas, a uh, Tosca, for example, or something where if somebody actually sang it just so stupendously that the audience will not shut up, I suppose you could, you could do it, and maybe you could get away with it if you were just sort of doing a... Sort Putting of a off the execution production. for another few minutes. Yeah. Well, 
you know, it's the, I mean, you know, most of us would say this is horrible, and I suppose it was, and I guess that's why the, the ban started to come in, you know, pretty early in the 20th century, I guess. Uh, you, you hear about the practice being curtailed, and uh, it could certainly get way out of hand. But I, my, my problem today is that I don't think we would ever hear singing very often that you just absolutely would love to hear one more time. I mean, if we, you know, if you had a Corelli on stage again, I wouldn't mind hearing him do, you know, the last act, Ari of Tosca, over because, you know, it just would be unbelievable. David. And I'm not even sure, you know, why we have to have the encore and the Nabucco of the chorus, although I, I appreciate it. I'm not, I think one, you know, we may force ourselves to have something that isn't necessarily so important to have at that particular moment. But I'll get to the Nabucco in just a moment. David, what do you have to say to the practice of encores in operas? I think I generally agree with what's been said. I mean, for example, you wouldn't want to hear uh, the Liebestod twice at the end of Tristan. It would mess up the dramaturgical content of the opera, uh, because, of course, opera is not merely music. It is also stage, and it is also drama. It is Gesamtkunstwerk. And so I think in, in most cases it's inappropriate. However... I think there's a lot in Donizetti that you can get away with it very easily. Even in Mozart, I think, you can get away with it because uh, you have to take into context as well the time at which it was written and the audience for which it was written. So if you want to repeat uh, the finale of Act 4 of uh, Figaro, I think, you know, go ahead. If the performance merits it, I think absolutely. But when you go later on, certainly most 20th century operas, I can't think of anything that would be appropriate for an encore in in the whole 20th century operatic literature. Tim, there is the traditional encore of the chorus of Hebrew slaves in Verdi's Nabucco. Is that different? To me, it's not so different. If you take a view that you shouldn't interrupt the flow of a drama, then I don't know why we would have that encore when there are many other marvelous moments in operas, which we wouldn't do. But I know that the tradition has taken hold. Not too long ago, I heard uh, one of the Met broadcasts. I mean, it was uh, Levine conducting, so it was on Sirius. And uh, I was surprised that, sure enough, there was the encore. So I know that it's, you know, it can even be done at the exalted houses. And, you know, I mean, it's such a beautiful piece. I know people enjoy hearing it, but I'm not so sure that's a tradition that you just follow because it is a tradition. And again, I think an audience has to signal that they want it again. And I've actually not been at any performances myself personally where the audience was so enthusiastic that you got the encore because they wouldn't let the performance proceed. It was built into the production, and that sort of made me slightly suspicious of why we do this. Well, you wrote about Lyric Opera Baltimore that actually trained the audience to sing Oh, yes, it. they take this very seriously there. This is, I think this was the, the third Baltimore production in the last, whatever, 20 years or something, and each time, I guess, they've made a big point. They actually turn the house lights up. They put the, the surtitles switch from English to Italian so people can sing along if they want, and they even have the music printed in the program. Uh, well, they take it very seriously. Uh, several choristers will go out in the intermission and do an impromptu thing to, to help people get accustomed and run it through once, and then they're, they're, people are ready for the big moment. David, any opera houses in England train their audiences to sing Va Pensiero? Not that I can think of, no. Although I do remember a very interesting production of Turandot in uh, Skopje, in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, where it seemed pretty much every aria was encored as a matter of course. So maybe in Central and Eastern Europe it clings on from the old days, but certainly in England I can't think of anywhere that that obtains nowadays, no. 
audience. I mean, an encore is supposed to be demanded, as it were, by an audience. It's not obligatory, but if, if you get the sense that you, the show has been stopped kind of thing, then, you know, I think they, they have accepted this. And I think in the case of uh, Juan Diego, I think he had already broken a, sort of an unwritten rule in Vienna or somewhere, and he'd already done it a few times when he was doing um, Daughter of the Regiment, I think. And so by the time he was doing it at the Met, I think they all discussed it. It was sort of like prearranged that if it felt right, they would do it. And it is interesting that it's only been tenors. I find that fascinating because there are some, of course, spectacular soprano moments, and it's interesting that, that this is all that's happened. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. It's, you, you would have to do it very sparingly because it would then everybody's going to want one kind of thing. But it is interesting that when it happens, it certainly does make the news. Because I don't think anywhere in the major Western houses it's it's any kind of commonplace thing. In the Nabucco thing, usually the applause is, is, is nice, but it's nothing overwhelming, and nobody shouts, you know, encore. And yet after it a happens. moment of silence, it all starts all over again. And you think, well, that's just because somebody has decided it's practically written into the opera that way. David, is that another case of predictability in performance? I think so, yeah. I really think if it's going to be a real encore, it has to be demanded by the audience and the situation has to warrant it. If it has been uh, Juan Diego Flores or uh, Rolando Villazón, someone like that giving an absolutely sterling, world-class performance of an aria, and the audience are wild with enthusiasm, then I think there's a case for it. If you're going to the extent of rehearsing choruses and tenors going on and off stage like some kind of jack-in-the-box simply for tradition's sake. I think it becomes rather stale and hackneyed, uh, and certainly as an audience member, I would find it distracting. I think we all have some favorite encore moments. I can remember Victoria de Los Angeles singing her 40th anniversary of her debut recital, so she was already in her 60s, and one of her encores was a performance of the Segadilla that was so seductive her standing there stock still that she had everybody in the audience in the palm of her hand. Both of you, do you have encore experiences like that that you can remember? Um, one that springs to mind is uh, Marc-Andre Amelin in Manchester a couple of years ago. Uh, it was actually the UK premiere of his Paganini Variations, which was totally unexpected and completely marvelous. I don't think I've ever heard a piece or a performance that quite took my breath away and amused me and beguiled me and made me sit up in such admiration of that. It was quite fantastic. But, yeah, the Paganina variations of Hamlet was quite extraordinary. How about ones that you've performed, David? Well, I suppose my own personal favorite is one of the Horowitz transcriptions, uh, The Stars and Stripes Forever. It always gets people going. People recognize it instantly, but it's still not something that you hear very often these days. I think of modern pianists, the only one I can really think of that plays it is Arkady Volodosh. Tim, how about your favorites? Well, I was thinking of uh, Ben Hepner uh, gave a recital where all, all of the stuff was quite serious and lovely and, you know, fine selection. But when he came for the encore, he did the absolute most heart-melting version of Roses of Picardy, which I just thought was just beyond sublime. I couldn't believe that he was singing that perfectly and beautifully, and then he would take this old chestnut and turn it into something that was just totally mesmerizing. But I, there was nothing else in the recital to suggest it was coming, so I think I enjoyed that particularly very much. And One of the things that 
we haven't mentioned his orchestras doing encores. I think it's kind of unfortunate that, that those are typically only done when an orchestra goes on tour or is getting ready to go on tour, and they might break it in at their local audience. But I, I think they should be thinking about that once in a while. When they know there's going to be a big blockbuster ending, why not have something ready? People love that sort of thing, and it would always be a surprise in that case because nobody does that in any kind of regularity on their home turf. David, ever been to a recital where you thought, oh, no, not another encore? Uh, yeah, but they tend to be amateur pianists who really, really don't know when to stop, <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, in professional cases, no. Um, I've been lucky in that extent that it's always been a welcome welcome thing to have another encore. And in fact, more often than not, I've had to see pianists and violinists and other uh, instrumentalists turn down uh, audience requests for more encores because they've already given three or in some cases four. And quite simply, they want to go back to their hotel and have a sleep. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were writer and pianist David Oldroyd Bolt and Baltimore Sun music critic Tim Smith, along with pianist Mark andre Hamlin. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or at Stitcher.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.